Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening we are going to be reviewing a couple of uh, zine games that came out through Kickstarter uh, by a couple of guys who have been on the show several times. Uh, so first and foremost, we've got the Phylactery number 3 by Levi Combs, which we're going to talk about this evening. And we're also going to be talking about the first in a new product line uh, from John Hambone McGuire of the Vintage RPG Podcast, and that is Rocket to Russia, which is a prelude to a product called Point Nemo, which will be coming out at some point. And it's also the first from 321 Action, which is a new uh, game system, basically. So uh, we'll be talking about that. I am, of course, enjoying a, uh, a margarita. I have been on quite a margarita kick recently, so I'm enjoying one of those. I am out of whiskey, so that's why uh, I'm drinking one of those. That and, and I've been drinking a lot of margaritas recently because I discovered how to make them. As if, you know, people haven't been making them forever like, I'm the first one to, to come to that conclusion. But anyway, we're going to be uh, taking a look at these games, so uh, let's go ahead and move on over to screen share. Uh, not a lot of prelude tonight. Uh, we're just going to dive right in and talk about these games. So let's see. Alrighty. Cool, so here we are. Move on over here. I now have a two-screen setup, so if you see me look over uh, to the side, it is because I'm looking at chat. So if anyone is, uh, you know, looking to uh, to comment as we're going, I can uh, see what you're saying now. It's not me kind of switching back and forth or looking down at my phone. I now have two monitors because of my new job. So, yeah, I can now, I can look over and uh, see what's on this side now. So that's, if you see me looking over like I am right now on camera, it's me looking at the new monitor. Or rather, the old monitor, because I'm on the new monitor. Anyway, this is the cover to Phylactery number three. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Phylactery is a, basically, all systems compatible companion series put out by Planet X Games by the great and powerful Levi Combs. And it's basically just uh, OSR and uh, Grindhouse-flavored stuff that you can put into your games to give them kind of that Planet X feel. 
And there's all kinds of great homages and, uh, you know, call outs to pop culture stuff here. As you can see, those of you who are comics fans, uh, this Ed Bickford cover is one of those homages specifically to uh, the Days of Future Past cover from the X-Men. Nice little John Byrne shout out here. This one also features some uh, some shout outs to uh, creators who uh, are kind of in the the orbit here. Old Gator is uh, John Larson, who I'd love to have on the show at some point. Uh, Skeet, you guys know who that is. GDZ, that is Zach. Uh, all kinds of great stuff here. Yeah, L Levi is down here, as you can see by my cursor. Yes, you can see my cursor. Cool. So yeah, Levi's there. All kinds of great stuff. Of course, there's a robot and a luchador. So yeah. But moving on down here, obviously, you know, everything here is done by uh, Levi Combs. And uh, we've got some great interior art and the cover by Ed Bickford, Adrian Landeros, uh, Ala Fedorova, Chris Carmen, Lawrence Hernandez, Jay Shields, and Dan Smith. So a lot of the uh, usual suspects, Murderer's Row here from uh, Planet X, a lot of the usual uh people being congratulated here and uh moving on we'll take a, a look at some of the contents here a lot of this has to do with assassins secret societies uh so adding some of that stuff organizations and diabolical cults fallen and forsaken gods and the adventure this time around is Cursed Barrow of Whispering Skulls, which I believe Levi ran on stream uh, a while back. I think it was Tony Plus One's stream that he was on. Where he actually uh, ran a version of this adventure. So yeah, that's that's a little bit of what we're going to get into here. So we'll uh, we'll go on down here. There's a bit here that I just scrolled past, so we're going to scroll back up. Um, talking about uh, Frank and Pagan, a little bit of exposure that Levi had to zines very early on, and uh, you know talking about how that has influenced the phylactery both in this issue and in previous issues. Nice little. Uh, article to to read as you're you're opening this thing up of course we all read the phylactery for the articles that is absolutely what we're doing here and we start off here with the uh, secret history of the grandfather of assassins nice little adrian landeros uh piece right here and this is uh, just kind of talking about, like, uh, an Assassin's Guild that you can add in to your game. It's got some magic items that go with it. Explanations of, like, who everyone is. Uh, so, like, down here, you've got some magic items that come through uh, Red Shrike's armor, uh, which is uh, a deep, vibrant crimson, plus two leather armor. And it gives you the same uh, qualities as a Cloak of Displacement. Uh, for anyone who is unfamiliar with that item, it is OP and great for any rogues that you have in the party. 
or really anyone who wants to avoid being hit. Uh, but it it's a it's a great item if you're a player. It, it's not that hard to work around if you're a, a GM. So again, in five E, cloak of displacement's pretty cool. So. It also gives you plus two saves against gaze attacks, spells, breath weapons, spitting, and so on that are aimed directly at the wearer. So basically, you'd be looking at a plus two to anything uh, like from a, a gorgon or a beholder, because those are I-beams. Uh, you'd also be looking at basically plus two to deck saves. So, you know, pretty pretty cool thing here. And then there's Throat Seeker, uh, which is a plus one dagger for regular folk. But if you're an assassin, so, you know, a rogue with the uh, assassin subclass, or, you know, if you're playing something like DCC where there's not necessarily a, uh, a set assassin path, you'd probably... I don't know, be, uh, be fluffing stuff, but if you can justify being an assassin, you have a plus two dagger uh, that can be hurled three times the normal distance and a natural 20 on the attack inflicts triple damage if it's being wielded by an assassin. Excuse me. And then, keeping with the theme of assassins here, uh, we're, we're looking at alternate death blow techniques for a high-level monk. So, as the text explains here, once you reach 13th level as a 5e monk, uh, this would be a replacement for Quivering Palm. So, you'd be looking at Iron Cobra's Exploding Venom Palm. And a, a lot of this is just uh, flavor, but some of it is, uh, like, actual... Some of it has actual uh, mechanical differences here. So, uh, Crippling Tiger's Guillotine Fist over here, number eight. Uh, with a single swipe of a ridged hand, the monk decapitates his opponent in the same manner as a Vorpal Sword. And it points you to the 1E DMG. So basically, for anyone unfamiliar with the Vorpal Sword, if you roll a 20, you decapitate the person. Kill him instantly. So yeah, this is a, a cool addition because I, I've i talked about this before. A lot of people have talked about this. A lot of digital ink has been spilled over the, uh, the letdown that is the 5e monk. Uh, unfortunately, with the way that 5e is designed and with the way that a lot of character classes uh, end up, you know, being in in 5e... Monks don't get a lot. They're the only class that's not front-loaded. And the reason why classes are front-loaded, of course, is statistically speaking, players are only going to be playing through, uh, like, 10th level. Maybe, like, 15th. But as you get kind of, like, past 10th level, uh, the chances of, you know, more people playing kind of just, you know, dwindle at that point. So... Any way to make a monk more appealing or give the monk more choices or let them do cooler things. Because, you know, a monk is a cool 
type of character. The Ranger's the same way, by the way, to, to throw shade at my favorite character class. It is a cool concept that mechanically does not pan out the way you would hope it would pan out. Uh, which, I, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, at some point... There might be a video where I can dissect the ranger or dissect the monk and, you know, change up what I would do, take some uh, inspiration from other game systems and see where we would go from there. Uh, but what this does is really give you uh, just a little bit more coolness, a little bit more variety to your monks, that your monk is doing something awesome. And beyond there, we get into some uh, some lists of gods, the fallen and the forsaken. Uh, so these are uh, like elder gods, fallen gods, basically evil gods that you can add into your campaign just to, you know, add a little bit more flavor there. Again, some really cool Ed Bickford art here. That's a great piece. Very evocative. Um all kinds of cool stuff. This is fantastic. This actually reminds me, and I can't see from the signature who did this. Uh, so if anyone in chat knows, please let me know. Or if anyone watching this after the fact knows whose artwork this is, let me know uh, so that we can give proper credit. It reminds me a lot, though, of the... Uh, see if I can get this guy on camera here. The uh, Hangin' Judge. From Deadlands, one of my favorite Deadlands creatures. Uh, one of the coolest creatures in the Weird West. But it's that similar, uh, you know, shadowy face, noose around the neck, all kinds of cool stuff. Any Anyone who wears a noose, uh, like as a, as a necktie, basically, is cool in my book. Uh, Nicodemus from the Dresden Files, Scarecrow from New Batman Adventures. Uh, th that's a cool design choice in my opinion. And this is the Strangler, or Hadark. The God of the Nooses. A very interesting concept as well. But yeah, a lot of this stuff is great. And beyond here, uh, we've got more secrets from the Lich's Crypt, and this is a these are magic items that you can uh, throw into your your campaign. Stormbellow horn, uh, which allows you to blow into it once every day to summon an effect similar to control weather, uh, but you can only call for thunderstorms, cloudy skies, or torrents of rain akin to thunderstorms lasting for four hours. And if you're a druid or a ranger of fifth level, you can call on a tornado to appear once a week. Uh, so if you are fighting a little girl from Kansas, this is a very effective weapon. And you've got Doom Kelp, uh, which, let's see. It allows uh, creatures who are not naturally able to do so to breathe underwater. And then, uh, when, once you try to leave the water, though, there can be some problems. Um, most notably, 
you will uh, immediately begin to suffocate and will die in 1d4 rounds plus your con score. So yeah, this is uh, one of those monkey's paw type items. Hex dust, you've got that as well. And then from there, uh, you get into some secret organizations and diabolical cults. And so again, these are more kind of, you know, interesting secret societies to throw at your party. Uh, if you need some kind of shadowy organization or mysterious cult or something like that. There's all kinds of lore and backstory and stuff like that here that Levi includes. And the reason why I'm not going into detail about all this is I want you guys to actually buy this book. Um, you know, I, again, I, I want you guys to... to Give Levi your support. It's a great product. It's fantastic. Let's actually get this thing on camera here. Cover up my face for a little bit. You guys don't need to see my ugly mug all the time. But yeah, that's a lot of what you have here. Keep on going down the line. Some evil books and sorcerous tomes. These are uh, like evil spell books that give you access to, to certain spells or, or give you certain effects tableau of the gibbering maw that is fantastic books with mouths are always fun the nine despairs then you get into some uh hired adventurers or npcs people like that so nagabob veteran adventurer Got some art here. I believe this is Jay Shield's art. Uh, I could be mistaken, though. And then you also have uh, St. Curnus the Fallen, who I believe graces the cover of Phylactery number one, if I am not mistaken. Uh, this is a fantastic uh, Ed Bickford drawing as well. I know that Levi is a huge Warduke fan, and this is uh, very, very evocative of Warduke, uh, who has a great design. So, you know, th this kind of thing is great. This, I, I really like this piece. This is, this is a really cool, really cool piece right here. And it's uh, St. Curnus is his name. And then down here, the Grand Heresy of Chernabog, Priest Liches Driven by Hate. And these are liches who were clerics of Chernabog. And uh, down here you have like a sample of, you know, what kind of lich you could throw at players if, if you were doing like liches of Chernabog. Which, by the way, Chernabog is metal as hell. I love Chernabog. And that on Bald Mountain is freaking fantastic. And then you get into the adventure for uh, this particular issue of the Phylactery. Uh, the Cursed Barrow of Whispering Skulls. Uh, your basic premise here is a farmer has discovered uh, a whole bunch of floating skulls. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're dealing with, uh, if not demi-liches, then uh, something that is similar to demi-liches. 
You also uh, get to deal with like uh, yokels, which is a big uh, thing. If you're familiar with um, an occurrence at Howling Crater, you know how uh, freaky that stuff can be. But yeah, this is a this is a pretty cool adventure, and you get uh, as always with this, you, you get the the cursed barrow, which is a mini dungeon. Levi loves to put the mini dungeons in here, so this is a, a, a cool one. You go into the barrow, and, you know, it goes down into this crypt where these dimmy liches are coming from. And you have the outline of what is actually inside the, uh, the mini dungeon. And I'm not going to go over all of the uh, details of the adventure again, just for spoiler reasons. And then you have Myths and Legends straight out of the Grindhouse, uh, Kaltarag, the Graveyard of Dragons. And so this is a, uh, um, these are, you know, legends about uh, Kaltarag, which is, as the title here says, a Graveyard of Dragons, some, some nice artwork here. And then you get into uh, some monsters, like the Blight Hag. Hags are always interesting. I, I love a good hag, and this is because of The Witcher Three. It's it's one hundred percent down to uh, you know playing The Witcher Three and encountering the uh, the hags there. But when you throw hags at your uh, your party, interesting things happen. Uh, there, a lot of people don't take them seriously, but these things will mess you up. Kias Polyp. That's freaky. And a murderous idol. Which is a uh, kind of an animated statue here. A, a construct, if you will. And then a witch maw troll. Again, another freaky piece of art down here. And then you've got the stuff at the end here. Save versus Disbelief. And we have an ad at the back here. This is the back cover that I'll show you guys. Uh, this is what Levi was talking about last time he was on the show. And I'll show you right side up here uh, so that you guys can all see. Let's get this in frame, shall we? Make sure. Everything's reversed. I'm going the wrong way. Okay, there we go. King Tut's Rootin' Tootin' RPG Extravaganza and Westernware. This is the uh, the October Kickstarter that Levi is going to be running. It is a, uh, a fantastically weird looking uh, zine with some weird West flavor to it. So th this will be interesting. This is what I'm looking forward to discussing because it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the scans with like what you find in Deadlands uh, or. I can see like grafting this onto Boot Hill or Aces and Eights or something like that, where there isn't a lot of weirdness. But Deadlands has its own specific flavor of weirdness, so seeing like how this parses with what's in Deadlands uh, is going to be interesting. So I look forward to that. But yeah, uh, just to sum up, Phylactery number three here, as we're uh, wrapping up our discussion of this. 
Phylactery number three is definitely a buy. Uh, everything that Levi does is a buy. Uh, but it's it's a great resource for if you want to add some weirdness, especially if you're looking to add uh, assassins, cults, or fallen gods. Those are the the main things that are covered here. And I mean, look at the look at that cover. The cover's fantastic. Can't go wrong with some Ed Bickford channeling uh, John Byrne. So, with that in mind, let's go on over to the second topic that we're going to be discussing which is Rocket to Russia by John Hambone McGuire. Okay, let me go up to the front cover here. So, like I said, this is Rocket to Russia. It is the first adventure uh, from 321 Action, which is a game system that John and uh, Gio Colazzo are working on together. Uh, this was another Kickstarter project. Again, I backed this one physically, so I've got the actual zine here. And this one actually came with some trading cards, which are interesting. Basically, these, these are like monster cards or character cards. This is the character sheet. Uh, it, it's a trading card that you like fill out yourself, which is a really cool thing. This is very steeped in 80s nostalgia and stuff like that. It's it's a really, really interesting concept. I like the fact that players would get their own trading cards. But the other ones are basically, like, this is a monster card, essentially. And then uh, you've got other, other monster cards uh, that have actual stats in the back. You've got uh, character cards as well, because there are pre-gen characters. So, uh, like, Veronica VV Velasquez. And then you've got their stats in the back. That is that is upside down. There you go. We'll, we'll see VV's stats uh, here in just a little bit. But yeah, there's there's pre-gen characters, and then there's also rules for rolling up your own character. And uh, part of the the interesting thing about Rocket to Russia, and why I'm going to spend more time on it than I did on Phylactery, is in this, you're not just looking at an adventure, because Rocket to Russia is an adventure, but we also have basically a whole new game system here, and that's by design. And this is a this is a game system that uh, Hambone and Geo designed, you know, very intentionally to to be something that's easy to learn, easy to pick up. It's actually pretty intuitive once you get into it. So, all throughout here, uh, just looking at the table of contents here, uh, you've got the forward, you've got safety tools, the X, all that stuff. I'm going to skip over that for now because I'm going to do, next time I do a solo episode, I'm going to talk about uh, my thoughts on RPG safety tools and all that. So I'm, I'm going to skip over that for now. I've, I've you know, given some of my thoughts on that in the past, but we're, we're going to do a whole stream on that, a whole episode. Uh, so stay tuned. That'll probably be coming in November. Then you've got all the information for the game runner, 
fill the plot holes in two sentences. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about that because that is interesting. Uh, you know, player generation, how the game runs, NPCs, monsters, creatures, all that stuff. And then we'll talk a little bit about the adventure itself as well. But again, I don't want to get into spoilers because uh, I do want you to support Hambone's work here. And I don't want to spoil all the fun that's to be had in Rocket to Russia. So here's a little uh, little prelude. Uh, actually written appropriately by Levi Combs. So synergy. Levi, Levi is a very helpful, very awesome individual. And if you listen to Vintage RPG, you know that uh, Levi very much kind of helped uh, Hambone get through the publishing process and kind of set everything up here. Uh, he was very instrumental in making sure that this product actually got out there. Uh, so, you know, again, if we can just all, you know, praise Levi Combs here for a little bit. Because he's a fantastic dude. Um, and so this forward is by him. Fantastic. So, like I said, we're going to skip over this for just a second. And then we're going to get into here. The, the Game Master is called The Game Runner. Uh, which is a little bit disappointing. If I'm remembering correctly, I, I feel like Hambone was going to call him the director. So I don't know what happened to that. Maybe they just... Decided to go with GR. I don't know. I like the term director better, though. Just because this is a very cinematic game. And the idea that you're a director. Um, <clears throat> really kind of fits with the, the theme there. I don't know. Maybe they decided it was a little too on the nose or too goofy. I, I don't know. Next time we bring Hambone on, we will talk about, you know, what happened to that if I just imagine that, you know, on down the line. But the basic mechanic here, as we're getting down into the uh, actual runner section, your basic mechanic is you're going to roll a d10 and you're trying to get below your stat to accomplish a task. So let me see if I can actually grab a, a d10 from here, because I like to roll the dice as I'm talking about the game. So I'm going to my stash of DCC dice because those were the closest ones. Okay, I found a D10. All good. The DCC dice you have to be careful with because uh, some of them are odd and they look like regular dice, but they're not. But I've got my D10 here. And appropriately, 3-2-1 action is mechanically relevant because when it comes to tasks and accomplishing the tasks, as you can see on the screen here, um, 3, 2, and 1 are important numbers. So, uh, for tasks that are monumentally difficult, you add 3 to the roll. For tasks of moderate difficulty, you add 2. And for regular tasks, you add 1. So, for example, um, let's say, uh, let's do an action roll. Action is one of the stats that you'll have to roll. Um, and the action is going to be uh, sneaking through 
an overgrown jungle to get past some guards. So the uh, the game runner would add three to that because it would be difficult. There's lots of branches and everything. Uh, there's a ton of guards, so sneaking through might be a little bit difficult. Let's say I've got a uh, an action score of seven. I rolled a... I believe this is a nine. Uh, no, that's a six. But with a three, with a plus three, it would be a nine, so I'd fail that check, and the guards would spot me. And as tasks get easier, or the more advantages you have, you can take that three, two, one, and subtract it from the roll. Uh, so let's say I have some kind of invisibility generator. That would subtract three from the roll. Uh, so I rolled a five, so total score of two. So yeah, like a ghost shadow right through there. But yeah, this is basically the the three two one mechanic here, the, an explanation here, and then uh, fill in the plot holes with two sentences. This is an interesting mechanic. And uh, what this does is allow your players to come up with crazy things that could happen in-game that would maybe be out of character. So the example uh, that's given here is your gruff heavy gunner needs to delicately flambe a banana's foster because he knows it's the enemy general's favorite food. And as the text explains here, uh, you know, it's it's creative problem solving. It's also uh, that kind of weirdness, that kookiness that a lot of people expect from RPGs. I don't necessarily expect that from RPGs myself. That's a personal preference. But, you know, that's the kind of gameplay that, uh, you know, Hambone wants to encourage with this game. How do you reconcile the fact that it's your heavy gunner who is flambeing the Bananas Foster? They've got two sentences to fill the plot hole. And basically, uh, again, the example that he gives here is... Uh, where is it? Oh, Grandma always had Julia Childs on in the kitchen. I miss my grandma. That's how the heavy gunner knows how to flambe a Bananas Foster. And so it's just a, a brief explanation of how you're able to do something like this. It's, it's a kind of variant on I Know a Guy. The I Know a Guy rule that uh, Tim talked about on Knights and Nerds. Where if you say I know a guy who can do this... Uh, you know, that guy then exists, but getting him to actually do the thing might be a whole challenge on its own. It's a variation on that. It's not one-to-one -one that, but it, it's a variation. So, when it comes to turns, um, you know, Hambone explains here, in, in most RPGs you can move and take an action... But that's all you can do. One move, one action. Um, so in 3-2-1 action, it's not initiative. It's basically just 
decide in the moment who needs to go when, what everyone's going to do on their turn. Obviously, you can't uh, shoot six guys, disarm a bomb, and then uh, you know give someone a shoulder rub all in one turn. That's the game master or the the game runner's job to kind of police that sort of nonsense where people can abuse a system like this. Uh, but for the most part, it's just, you know, what needs to be done? Who can do it? Let's go from there. Work together. Again, the system is very much designed around uh, light, fast-moving turns, really kind of a, a very rules-light and very story-focused, not so much simulation-focused, to the point where combat, um, you don't roll to hit, even. You... When you attack, you hit, and then you roll damage. And your damage is a modifier to a d10 roll. So the handgun, the Beretta M9 in this particular game, uh, has a damage modifier of minus three. So I'm going to shoot someone with my Beretta. And I deal, I rolled an eight, so I deal five damage. And that damage goes against uh, luck points. Everyone gets a base of 20 plus 1d10, so, for example, uh, I would have 25 luck points. And luck points are not just your hit points, uh, which is a cool mechanic, the idea that once your luck runs out, you're dead, that's mentioned directly here in the text. That is interesting. Um, But they're also a resource that you can use for other things. You can use them to... uh, Add or subtract from a roll. You can use them to find more ammo. Uh, you can you can use luck points in any way you want, but you only have a certain number per session. You get them. You get some more at the end of a session. But the idea is that they're a resource, uh, you know, to be used to enhance gameplay. But also, they're what keeps you alive. So if you're a little too liberal with how you're using your luck points, a bullet could end up killing you. It's a really interesting mechanic, and I really like it. I like it a lot. Um, it's it, it really solves the problem of what are hit points. Because for a lot of people, hit points are like how much damage you can take. But the idea that you're hitting someone with a sword, like you're cutting someone with a sword six times to kill them, is kind of stupid when you think about it logically. So what are hit points? Hit points in a lot of games represent the you know ability of someone to evade an attack, parrying, dodging, maybe a couple nicks and cuts here. I like that this game kind of does away with hit points as a whole and just says, you know, these are luck points. This is your luck that you're using up. So if you're using all your luck here, you might not have enough when a situation comes up when you're in combat. And then, you know, guess what? There's a bullet with your name on it. When your luck points at zero, you die. And you can pretty much enter combat whenever you want with a new character. 
Uh, the idea is, you know, basically you've got a couple sentences to explain where that came from. In the context of this adventure, uh, let's say one of the uh, one of the soldiers that's you know entering this island because this whole thing takes place on a mysterious island. Uh, you know, a- another soldier runs through the runs through the brush, enters the fray, and is like, "I was with one of the other teams sent to stop this." You know, that's where a new character could come from. New characters can come from anywhere. It's, you know, it's a game at the end of the day. Which is really the, uh, almost the motto of this. It's a game at the end of the day. So, just repeat to yourself, it's just a game. I should really just relax. To paraphrase. And again, luck points here are a reward. Um... You can do them. You, you can give them out whenever people are, you know, like role playing well. Uh, there's also awards that you can give here: best comedy, uh, best action sequence. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not wild about that. Cause, and, and I know, I know a lot of this is like you want to re- reward organic moments that pop up, like. When uh, Cheyenne gave me a uh, a Benny for owning up to the fact that I did shoot the guy in Hellgate, Bennies are the same way in Deadlands and Savage Worlds. You you use them as a reward for players for doing things well. But if this becomes like codified, like we're gonna give out these rewards at the end of every session, I think you're gonna end up with a lot of players being goofballs just to try to get best comedy and it's going to end up being a little bit counterproductive just my thoughts but you know if you want to do it this way you can again all of this is optional uh this is just these are guidelines for giving out luck points so you could do it this way or you could not do it this way It's, it's really up to you and then movement, uh, you know, every character can move roughly 40 feet per turn. Uh, but what this, you know, gets into is the equipment that you're carrying determines how far you can move. Uh, just to allow, like, basically melee characters to be as effective in combat as ranged characters. Uh, so that, you know, they can move and attack on the same turn. Again, it, it's all about, like he says here, story over physics. Then we get into some player stuff here. These are the six stats that you're dealing with. Uh, so the the physical and mental stats that you have in this game are action, brains, brawn, and charm. So action is the stat you're going to be relying on the most. It's anything physical, anything movement-based. Or anything movement based really is is what you're dealing with there because some of the like strength based stuff is covered under brawn brains book smart street smarts all that stuff brawn like i said physical stuff lifting heavy things opening a pickle jar <clears throat> carrying your friend off the off the battlefield and then charm you guys know what that one is and then for survival stats cool is, uh, you know, staying frosty in combat, guts, uh, intestinal fortitude, and endurance. I am ashamed 
of my fellow wrestling fan, uh, John McGuire, for not putting testicular fortitude instead of intestinal fortitude. I understand what he's going for here, uh, you know, wanting to be gender neutral, but come on. Throw in your your JR reference here, man. Anyway. It's... I'm not actually mad about that. And the idea here is after you fail three gut checks, um, all your stats are lowered by one. After a fourth one, you die. And you can reverse them with luck points or with battlefield medicine. Then we get into uh, pre-gens here. I'm just going to gloss over them. These are all your, uh, like, 80s action movie archetypes, basically. Daniela Johansson. I do want to stop on this one because Daniela Johansson is not the name of someone from Clarksville, Tennessee. As someone who lives in Nashville. That's not a Clarksville name. Just throwing that out there. But, again, nitpicks here. Tiberius Redshirt Kirkman is hilarious. I love this. Um, <laughs> his special ability is he can recall from memory every card released from the 1991 Topps Desert Storm trading card set, as well as their stats from front to back. I didn't even know they made that, but they did. Then from here we get into uh, rolling a character... Basically, you roll 60-10, not necessarily in order, but then you assign them to the stats you want them to correspond with. Uh, Stats can't be lower than 2, and they can't be higher than 9, because they want a chance of absolute success or absolute failure. So if your stat was a 10, you couldn't roll above a 10 with a d10. If your stat was a 1, you couldn't roll lower than a 1. Under most circumstances. Excuse me. And then there's also a standard array option uh, if you're afraid of low stats. Then you get to choose a background. There's some here. I guess you could come up with one as well. Adds a plus one to a stat, and then the game runner will apply a minus one to another stat. Um, But not the same stat that they took the plus one in. So basically, uh, the example here, like a doctor would have a plus one to brains, maybe a minus one to charm, though. So, you know, things like that. Lawyer, I'd actually have that be a plus one to charm, and then a minus one to brawn, but, you know... Again, nitpicks. And then backstory in three sentences. This is interesting. Um, I, in the past and the present, have been guilty of overdoing my character's backstory. Because I love coming up with stuff like that. I came at role-playing through theater, through acting... I like thinking about who my character is. You can see a lot of that in Hellgate with the way that I play uh, Clayton. 
I've thought a lot about who Clayton is, what Clayton feels in a given moment. I wrote a way too long backstory for him. But this basically takes away the overlong backstory and the pressure of creating an overlong backstory. You get three sentences for your character backstory. Uh, sentence one is based on their role. Sentence two is their motivation. And three is what brought them on the adventure. So, uh, Daniela Johansson, the, uh, dubious resident of Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, she is the squad's communications expert. She speaks seven languages and she joined up with the military to see the world, experience new cultures, and learn their languages. That is her backstory. That's who she is. And then in the inventory, you get four items, or four item slots, because some of the heavier weapons do take up multiple slots. So Grenade Launcher takes up two item slots on down the line. Ammunition does not take up a weapon slot, because it is it goes with the weapon. And then we get into some of the weapons that we have for this particular adventure. Brass Knuckles, Combat Knife... Uh, so the damage modifier here, uh, that's how much you subtract from your damage roll. So let's say uh, Hambone gives the example of the Macho Man elbow drop off a pile of crates. So let's say you do that. I rolled a seven. So I'd be dealing one damage with my elbow drop. High risk, low reward, as all top rope maneuvers are. But yeah, Brass Knuckles, Combat Knife, Machete, Samurai Sword. I love that if you uh, reduce target to half of their luck points, you dismember them. And if you reduce them to zero, you decapitate them. That's great. Then you get into some great 80s action movie weapons like the uh, Beretta M9 the underslung shotgun, the M4 compound bow, if you really want to be Rambo, uh, flamethrower, grenade launcher, hand grenade, sniper rifle, and then some armor. And armor just adds luck points. Um, some of these armors are hilarious. You have your standard flak jacket, of course. Uh, but you also have a Fallen Friends Dog Tags, which gives you two luck points. Uncle Jack's Lucky Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie Card. I love that. Uh, picture of your sweetheart back home feels like it should deduct luck points. Because usually when you've got someone to go home to in an action movie, you're going to die. It's like being a couple days away from retirement. <clears throat> But I understand, again, the motivation to stay alive is there. And then, uh, one other thing I want to talk about here. A lot of the art here is fantastic, but I, I do have to point this out, though. That's not a good-looking K-Bar. It looks like a pirate's cutlass. I'm sorry. I, that bothered me. That bothered me a lot, actually. And Samurai Sword... 
Again, the the hilt is not curved that way. But these are nitpicks. Just ignore me. I'm being a goofus here. And then rolling for ammo. Uh, Basically, after a combat encounter, to get more ammo, you have to roll for it. And each weapon has a uh, a penalty to your roll uh, to see how much ammo you recover. So if you're trying to get arrows back from firing your compound bow, I drop my dice. Reroll. It was cocked. Reroll again. A two. A two after all that nonsense. And some minus four to uh, recovering ammunition. So I don't find anything. And then we get into some monsters here. Uh, the Amphicura are kind of the main monster here. Uh, they're fish people, essentially. The Jade Sniper is the main antagonist here. He's the guy that you're sent after. And then the Night Swimmer is a vampiric squid, which is freaky as hell. And there's a battle-damaged version of it for uh, when you encounter it after certain events. And it has spawn. Yippee. And then there's a, uh, a an airplane that you fight as well. Because of course there is. And you have a map of the island here. And then you get into the main adventure. Um, you are entering the island from a submarine... And this gives a little bit of uh, guidance on how to introduce players to each other because it's best if a couple of your players already know each other or a couple of your uh, player characters know each other already. And it gives the example of the warriors and how it introduces the characters in the beginning through the dialogue, setting up the world, all that stuff. Another good example... Um, would be the helicopter. This is after the initial, uh, like masculine handshake and stuff from Predator, but the helicopter ride in where, uh, Long Tall Sally is playing. And you kind of get introduced to the grunts. This is basically telling you how to go through that scene. And you basically just, like, pick two random players and be like, you guys know each other from somewhere. And then you get into some of the uh, introduction to the adventure. And this is really the only major criticism I have of the adventure. Um, You're being sent to... Your, your whole kind of background here is your special forces being sent to this mysterious island to take down the Jade Sniper, who's an ex-Spetsnaz uh, sniper. 
and he is causing trouble on Point Nemo, and you just need to take him down. The problem that I have here is immediately you are introducing the players to this concept of the uh, the Amphicura. These should be treated like the Predators, or, uh, you know, the Xenomorphs. This situation in the action movies that this game is based on is always a mystery. It's always something that the party is not expecting. I don't know if uh, Hambone just wanted to be different here or what the deal is, but I would not introduce these things here. Literally, like, the commanding officer gives you, like, pictures of them and says, here, these things are on the island, too. This should be something that the players stumble upon. They're like, you know, the, why, why send five special forces guys to take out one sniper? What's, what's really going on here? Because that's always in the background of these things, too. And then you get on the island and, oh, fish monsters. That's the way I'd go for it. And if I were running this, that's how I would run it. But again, very minor nitpick. So, the whole thing is you've got 12 hours to get onto this irradiated island, Point Nemo, take out the Jade Sniper, and get to the extraction point. That's where the Sea Wolf, which is the submarine you're coming in on, is. And you have to you have to do all that in 12 hours. So there's a ticking clock as well. And that is... Uh, that's where I'm going to leave it. Because the rest of this... I, I don't want to give away much about the adventure itself. But it's it's very reminiscent of something like Predator, something like uh, Aliens, you know, any of those, any of those movies that the uh, the role playing game Stay Frosty is based on. There's an OSR role playing game called Stay Frosty, where the whole thing is your your grunts kind of fighting an unknown, way more powerful than you entity. It sounds really cool. I have not read it or played it. But it sounds really cool. But yeah, that is uh, Rocket to Russia. The rest of this is the uh, the adventure itself. Uh, so, closing thoughts here on Rocket to Russia. Uh, it's a very it's a very good package. This gives you all you need to really play in three two one action. And 3-2-1 action is very much going to be like a setting agnostic game system. It's clearly designed to be something that you can like pick up and port to other settings. Uh, you know, Hambone has said as much in talking about it on Vintage RPG. The point of this game is to be able to, you know, run a quick, exciting, fun one-off or, you know, like five-off game with light rules so that you can get people into role-playing. And the system does that beautifully. 
uh, this this is a really simple, really intuitive game design that allows players to use their brains, use their creative thinking, really kind of do that whole thing that I've talked about with OSR design, where it's not the rules in the sheet, it's the rules of the sheet in your brain. What can you come up with? What creative solutions do you have to the problems? That's what I really like about Rocket to Russia. It really seems to encourage that style of play. And I'm excited to see what else Hambone puts out with uh, 321 Action. Just so we can see, you know, like more of this. He said that there's a horror game coming. There's a Western game coming. Um, probably fantasy as well. He's talked about a superhero game as well. I, I don't know when all this is coming or, you know, like formally what it's going to look like. I do know that the next thing he's putting out is Point Nemo. Um, so basically he's going to take this island, flesh it out a little bit more and, and give a little bit more substance to it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But all in all, Rocket to Russia is a fantastic product. Uh, definitely recommend... Definitely like it. Cool game. Lots of fun stuff. Lots of great flavor to it. So that's going to do it for uh, today. Let me go back uh, to me solo and we'll uh, we'll kind of close things out here. Cool. So yeah, that is uh, Rocket to Russia and Flactory 3. Like I said, you know, both of these strongest possible recommendation I love these guys. I love these games. Uh, so yeah, definitely buy. Definitely buy. Uh, you know, the, these are awesome products. And uh, yeah, that's that's really where we're going to leave it for tonight. I know, you know, a couple short episodes, uh, one right after the other, but you know, I, I don't want to overstay my welcome here. So that's where we're going to leave it tonight. Uh, just to let you guys know what's coming up here, um, next week we're going to be doing uh, another session of Night Haven. So uh, Prax and Rez and John and Joe Page will be back. We'll be back in the world of Night Haven. And then the week after that, uh, I'm going to be doing a couple episodes uh, that kind of fit together. I'm going to go on the Dungeon Master's Toolkit and talk with the host of that show, and then they're going to come on here. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to check out Dungeon Master's Toolkit. It's something brand new that I just discovered. Uh, you know, I just kind of interacted with the host there on Twitter. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll kind of, you know, we'll see what shakes out there. I'm excited to, you know, make new friends and, and check out what's going on there. And then obviously, uh, for anyone who's looking to game at conventions. I'm going to be at Gamehole Con uh, October 21st through the 23rd. I'll be leaving on the 24th, uh, so I won't be there on Sunday. But the 21st through the 23rd of October, I'll be in Madison, Wisconsin for Gamehole Con. I'm super excited for that. That's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, I'll be running Night Haven. I believe there's still openings in my uh, Friday morning game. It's 10 o'clock which I know is early for some people. But, you know, if you want to play Night Haven, I've got openings in that game. Definitely come check it out. It'll be a ton of fun. 
Uh, but until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next week for more Night Haven.